Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Yo, welcome to All Things Covered with Patrick Peterson and Bryant McFadden, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Man, the name says it all. If you're rocking with us, make sure you leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Or if you're checking us out on YouTube, make sure you hit that subscribe button so you can get alerted of all our great content right away. Now let's get to our awesome guest, the one and only John Smokes. Ladies and gents, you know what time it is. All things covered. Patrick Peterson and Brian McFadden, another outstanding episode for you guys. You already heard who we have joining us here. All things covered. Man, this is this is an and big time accomplishment for me and Pat P because oftentimes you guys have been following our show. We always have, you know, football royalty on the show. Yeah. Hall of Famers from living legends to iconic individuals, personalities, high character individuals. But guess what? We decided to go ahead and take our talents to the diamond. To the right? diamond, baby. To the diamond. <laughs> and I played a little bit of baseball here there when I was a little- a little. Man, no you didn't, man. Yeah, I did. I was a great shortstop. I was always, <laughs> you know, I had, I had little ankles, so I was quick. My, my, when I got on base, I was gonna steal a base or two, regardless if they told me to or not. I was just gonna take off. I had quick ankles, you know what I mean? So, but just like yourself, Pat P, we decided to go to the gridiron. Now, granted, if we started, if we did play baseball professionally, Jesus I Christ. think it's safe to say our, our bank accounts, both will be better in a better man. situation. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it is what it is. But for us, we decided to tap into baseball royalty for you, our listeners and our viewers watching this on YouTube. You heard who it is. Let me read his accolades. I mean, granted, we had to cut some things off because we don't have enough time. I mean, he has a toilet paper <laughs> length of accolades, a fresh roll, too, before you even use it. You know, the, the thick sure. rolls. This, yes, yes. His <laughs> accolades, is, I mean, is as long as a fresh roll of toilet paper. Eight-time All-Star. Cy Young Award winner, World Series champion. His jersey, you know it's a big deal when they retire your jersey for a professional organization. The number 29 would never be worn again for the Atlanta Braves. He is a Hall of Famer. He is one of the best broadcasters in the game as well. Uh, Jack of many trades, master of all. Yeah. I know they say Jack of many trades, master of none. Not, not with this individual. No other than John Smoltz joining us here. All Things Covered podcast with Pat Peterson and Brian McFadden. Mr. Smoltz, how you doing? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me on. And, and I might say, look, uh, back in the day, and my dad made the right decision, but you want to talk about being able to throw a football? I was a quarterback all the way till I got to high school because my dad wouldn't let me play in high school because I would have got crushed. But I would have been the guy leading the league in touchdowns and interceptions because I wouldn't have thrown it away. So he made the right decision. But I love throwing a football. I did so not you, know so, that. Yeah. So you had you had like that Brett Favre type of mentality. You was yes. a gunslinger. I was. And my training every offseason was throwing a football. So that was how I kept my arm and shoulder in shape. Throwing wow. a baseball, you can't throw it all year because the stresses are too great. So when you throw a football. You don't have as much stress on your shoulder and elbow as you would if you throw baseball. So I trained with a football and my saddest day 
was when I had to have shoulder surgery and I had to come back because I could throw a football 60 to 80 yards because mm-hmm. of the way my shoulder would go way back. So when I had shoulder surgery, mm-hmm. I couldn't throw this thing 30 or 40 yards. And I was so <laughs> devastated. And I think the most I got it back was 40 yards with nine anchors in my shoulder. So that was my mm-hmm. extent of my football career. Well, wow. you t- well, like B-Mac said, you're a, a, a master of many things. Um, I had an opportunity to play golf with you and also had an opportunity to watch you play golf, golf and also had an opportunity to watch you win a golf tournament down in um, Tahoe. I can't remember what year was that. No, did you win the top? No, you didn't win the Tahoe. No, I, I've that was, a, that was a Diamond Resort to win you want. Yeah, Diamond and Resorts, you, I was able to win back-to-back. Uh, yes, and you could have won the one last year with uh, yes. Coach. Yes, yes. So right. I had an opportunity to watch you win one in um, in Orlando and and obviously known to be one of the best athlete golfers. Like, how does it feel to have that title? Mm. Well, it's pretty cool because that's what my passion took me after the years of playing baseball. I wanted to play till I was 45. But the shoulder surgery took me out at 41. So I started dedicating whatever energy I had. I played uh, basketball till I was 51 in competitive basketball. That's my first love. I'm just a compet- I'm just a competition addict, right? I mean, yeah. we play at this level and you love competing. And golf's a passion of mine. And so I want to see how far I can take golf. And that's what I've been working on. I'm actually going next week to try and qualify for the Champions Tour. So at mm-hmm. Q School. So all these things kind of factor into my po- post-playing career and pre-playing career of, of my mindset. Hey, John, I got one more golf question for you. I think this would be so cool for TNT to do next year for the match. You versus Tony Romo. What do you think Ooh. about that? Who winning? Who taking that, John? Oh, I've been – we almost – hey, we almost had that set up. And, and, and Tony and I have competed, and he is – very much younger than I am and hits it a lot farther, but I would love to compete against Tony yeah. in golf. He's very, very well. Uh, I mean, he's, he's a little bit better. I, I'm not going to admit, I'm not going to lie. He's a little bit better than me, but it doesn't mean I'm afraid. That's right. I'm not afraid. Yeah. I know you're going to compete. I had the opportunity to play with Tony last year when I had one of my best days at American century. I came in second day, first day with 25 points, John. I thought I wanted the Masters. I saw it. <laughs> then the second they came around, John, I don't know, all the wheels came off. I don't know what happened. You I, had flat line. With, I had an opportunity to play with Tony. And like you said, like his game is so well-rounded, man. Like he gets out of trouble very well. He puts the ball from everywhere. From 100 in, he's getting it within three. He definitely have a, a well-rounded game. But I would love to see that match, too, because uh, like you said, I know you're going to compete and you're not going to back down. And um, you're going to find a way to drop some birdies here and there for sure. <laughs> I, I love stuff like that. And I was pushing for, uh, like I said, we almost had the event worked out, but hopefully in the future, uh, maybe something like that could come along. Let's go TNT. Make it happen, baby. No question. Make it happen. You know, you know, it'd be must see TV as well. Must see TV. That'd be dope. That'd be dope. Uh, well, of course, we all know what happened a week ago. The Braves won the World Series last week, and we know you're in the media now. You're definitely much hands-on with the Braves Atlanta franchise for quite some time. Uh, but what are the emotions for the city of Atlanta and the team winning a title following a 22, a 26-year wait? Yeah, it was unbelievable. I mean, having been part of one of the greatest runs ever, only winning one championship in 95, to have 26 years to go between championships, the city has had no other major sport, with mm-hmm. the exception of MLS, have a championship in the city. So it was starting to grow weary of another year lost. 
this was the most amazing championship. It, it trumps ours because we were supposed to win. We had been in our, that was going to be our fourth World Series. And if we didn't win, the pressure for us was greater than anybody has ever had to deal with because they were starting to link us with the Buffalo Bills, which I still don't understand why that's considered a failure when you go to four straight Super, Super Bowls. I think that's an unbelievable accomplishment. And so this year came, this team came from nowhere and it, it had to replace its whole outfield. There was a lot of storylines within the storylines. In sports, you guys know, sometimes clubhouses have what it takes. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes there's a, a, a fragment in there that kind of separates. They had what it took to believe in themselves. In August, they were not even a 500 team, mm. and they were 50 to 1 to win the World Series. Oh, For them to man. win the World <laughs> Series is pretty, is pretty incredible. So right. they, they persevered. The organization gave them a chance. Leadership led them. And I have to say this the credit goes to the guys in the clubhouse. When you lose your star players, it's real easy to try to just bog down and know it one year year, but everybody stepped up. And for me personally to watch it from afar, cause I'm the national guy now, um, you know, my history is well-documented with the Atlanta Braves, but I, I had to play it in, in a spot where to be professional and do my job. Yeah. And it was at the end of the day, it was, it almost became full circle Win it as a team, as a player with the team. And then to call it uh, as mm -hmm. a broadcaster was pretty cool. Well, you, and you talk about, in 95, you guys were supposed to win it. Is there any similarities between the seasons, uh, 95 and 2021? Uh, the similarities were the sense that if they were going to win, much like what the way we won, we, we did it pitching. And the Atlanta Braves got hot in the second, third, you know, the, kind of like the last two months of the season with their pitchers. And that, that pitching allowed them to beat three of the best teams in baseball. No they went through the Brewers. They weren't supposed to win. They went through the defending champs, Dodgers. They weren't supposed to win, and they weren't favored against the Houston Astros. Right. Whereas we went through probably the three greatest offensive teams in 95, so we had to do it with pitching, and ironically, we won our final game one to nothing. Mm. So the similarities are kind of in the pitching staffs with differences. They were back-end loaded with their bullpen doing most of the work. We were front-end loaded with our starters carrying most of the most of the work by going seven, eight, nine innings. So – Gladwin wins a one nothing game going eight innings, and Max Fried doesn't give up any runs going six innings with a big lead. Those are the little differences. Right. It's a lot easier to pitch, and I'm sure he was glad he had a seven-run lead versus a one nothing. <laughs> any Anything yeah. can happen to change that. Correct. And, and speaking of the pitching for 2021, how impressed were you with, I call him Mad Max, Max Fried. Uh, his, he really elevated his game, especially in the postseason. But how impressed were you with Max and what he was able to do in helping this team win a championship? Yeah, super impressed because he got hot at the right time. He went into the postseason rolling. I think he had seven wins and 11 starts, and he was dominating. He's a great athlete, can hit, can field. And then he ran into a little stumbling block at the wrong time in the postseason, and he made self-adjustments in that game six. When you get beat up those two prior games, it can mess up with your confidence. And I don't think he slowed it down at all, and he made the necessary adjustment when he needed it the most. He's a great pitcher. He's only going to get better, and he's got a chance to really dominate as he matures and learns a couple tricks of the trade like we all had to learn to have our careers extend well beyond 10, 15, 20 years. Yeah. Hey, Pat P., check this out. And for our listeners that are listening to us via podcast, for our YouTube watchers that are watching us on YouTube, this is a crazy, crazy stat. I, I had to read it five different times to actually believe it. <laughs> I was trying to figure it out, too. This was the 39th straight World Series where John Smoltz had a former teammate playing. 
So it's been 39 straight World Series, and you retired in the early 2000s, right? It was 2000? 2009. 2009, not early 2000s, but 2009. But you've had a teammate participate in 39 straight World Series. What does that say about yeah. your career? It says I'm an old goat, is what it says. <laughs> no, <it's>, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You're, you're right. You're a goat, baby. <laughs> it's pretty. It's pretty cool to think that that could work out. Now, there's a lot of pressure in the next two years on a couple teammates of mine that play for the St. Louis Cardinals for this mm. thing to extend. Yeah, uh, Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright. So there's still slim hope for some of those, but a streak's coming to an end soon. To say to say to say it simply. But when I heard that, I was like, man, that is crazy. And even to the point where it's a little confusing because I was only teammates with one guy or two, like two months out of the year in Boston. Mm -hmm. So it, people might not connect the dots there. But, but uh, you know, for me to call World Series games now and to see World Series at the highest level when I played it, I mean, it is baseball is a long year. It's probably too long. But to get to the World Series is a, is a, is a grind. And when you get two teams going to the World Series, and to even be connected for the last 39 years, that is, that's insane. And yeah, someone is. who came up with that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, uh, like you said, baseball is, I think it's definitely too long as well, because I like to watch it, but the postseason what matters to me for sure. October. <laughs> yeah. October, yeah. baby. So we hear about, we hear about the, um, we hear about all the superstitions in sports, but especially in baseball, what was your mode, uh, what was your mode of the day when you were starting? You, you know, it's crazy. Yeah. Not everybody's the same. Like for me, I wasn't as superstitious, but I, if things were working, then I did, I did those things. For an example, I would sleep the day I pitched till I woke up, which could be 12 o'clock, one o'clock sometimes. And the four days in between, I wouldn't sleep because I had kids and kid duty. I would eat pancakes just about every game that I pitched because I wanted the food to stick with me as long as possible. And whether pancakes stick to your ribs or not, at least felt like it did. <laughs> and then I would go and do time killer stuff. I'd play cards. I'd talk to guys. Like, I wasn't one of those guys that thought, breathed, and, and, and lived baseball every single second leading up to pitching. I just stored up my energy for making 115 decisions a night. Because I would throw about 115 pitches a night. And I wanted to make those decisions as best as possible. So I stored up that energy. But there was a particular homestand. Um, I had won like seven games in a row at home. And I once owned 20 acres with 15 acres of grass, three greens, nine tees. I had the Taj Mahal in the backyard. Mm. I had a baseball field, a fishing pond, a football field, a basketball wow. court, tennis. Dude. And I had, oh, you know, I had this uh, in 20 acres. Yeah, I had built a, I built basically for my kids, but mainly for me, I built a little uh, Disney world of activities. I always wanted my kids outdoors. Mm. And so I figured if I built everything outdoors and I did it with, with grunt work of getting in those machines to do it, which was a lot of fun. Uh, so I built all that. And when I'm saying that, that on the day that I would pitch seven times in a row at home, I got on the big old lawnmower that the you see at the golf courses and I cut my grass that day because it was relaxing to me. I guess you could say a little Forrest Gump in me, you know, mm -hmm. cut the grass, but <laughs> no one could get to me when I was cutting grass. I was in my own little world, my own little thought process. And I would think about what I was going to do that night. And so I'd cut grass. Sure enough, I win a game. Well, then I did it again. I won seven in a row. And now I'm trying to figure out how do I do this on the road to keep it going? And right. uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that was kind of my own little, I, I lived there for about 13 years and we had this bell 
huge bell that my builder put in and the bell was there so that I knew I would have to ring it to get my kids to come indoors. That was the thought. They rang it for me all the time. They were like, <laughs> wow. Time to eat, dad. You know, I, we had we had seven football games in my backyard. I had a 70 yard field with two end zones, lined it. And we played these uh, flag football games uh, once a year. And uh, we utilized that. And so I had a lot of fun living do- living outdoors. Mm, I'm still I'm still mind blown about the, the land you had. Yeah, you man. 28, 28 yeah, yeah, yeah. acres? Three it was 20. Nine, it was 20. 20. Oh, oh, hey, man. that's what happened when you're ace. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you get ace type money to get with 20 acres. No doubt about Ooh. it. <laughs> hey, and speaking of aces in football, of course, you know, you, you're a football fan, John. Anytime we see Hall of Fame like quarterbacks go face to face, right? Face off. They don't necessarily play against each other, but you know, it's always a matchup. You know, for such a long time, it's always Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, whenever they their teams faced off against each other. But for you, was there a, a Hall of Fame ace that got you fired up? Like when you knew you were going to be pitching the same day this guy was going to be pitching. This is a guy that I got to bring my A game. Granted, you brought your A game every time, but it was something different. It was more motivation yeah. knowing that you're playing against that said player. If you had that player, who is that player? Who was that player for you? Yeah, there were many, but the one that sticks out easily is Pedro Martinez. He was a freak. 5'11 mm-hmm. through 98, had all kinds of curveball sliders, change up. Uh, he was the guy that when you, you went toe to toe against him, A, you knew you couldn't give up any runs. I think we finished two and two against each other. And I'll never forget the game I had him beat. I was winning one to nothing, and I struck out 16 guys through going into the eighth inning. And with two outs and an 0-2 man on first, I gave up a two-run homer. To who? It was the only mistake I made to Carlos Beltran. And I, I, I know that game like it was yesterday because I had Pedro beat one to nothing, and I lost that game giving up that two-run homer. But when you face guys like that in baseball, yes, same in football. In the National League, we're facing them at the plate, but we're really not pitching against them. You just know that you can't make mistakes. Right. And I think that's the same way in football. When you go up against greatness and you know there's 38 seconds left on the clock and you give that team the ball, there's a good chance they're going to go down and score because of yeah. that quarterback leading it. And it's the same way in pitching in baseball. If you give a, a, a great pitcher a two-run lead in the first inning, there's a good chance he's going to hold it. And yeah. so you try to pitch – in a way where you have such admiration for the other guy on the mound, even though you're not like my game seven against Jack Morris, he was my idol growing up as a tiger, even though I wasn't really pitching against him, I kind of am in the Mm -hmm. sense that he's the guy I know is not going to give up any runs. So you have to have that mindset going up in a game seven. And ultimately I was able to do it, but he did it better. He went 10 innings. I only went eight and uh, they ended up winning one to nothing. That's one of the more epic games too. If you think about, you know, during the postseason run, that game seven against your idol, Jack Morris. Uh, that it was, was. Yeah, it was. And I wish game. I had more. I wish I had more years under my belt to tell my manager to get off the mound. <laughs> like he told his manager, but I didn't. And, uh, you know, that was step one of our run. that I never dreamt would go 14 years. Yeah. And I dreamt as a kid playing in a game seven. I pitched in. I tell people all the time. They say, what was it like to pitch in a game seven when everything in the everything it means everything, right? It's the final mm-hmm. game of the year. And I said, what, you, what, what people don't understand is I pitched 100 of them when I was a kid growing up. I lived in a small town in Lansing, Michigan, and I had a brick wall and a rubber ball. And I threw against that brick wall with a strike zone made of tape. And my parents 
allowed me to pursue baseball, even though I was come from a musician's family of accordions of all things, something <laughs> nobody even knows about anymore. And I would pitch game seven after game seven as a 10 year old, 12 year old, 13 year old. And in my mind, I played it out. And I believed that when I got in the situation to live it out for real, that it would be just like it was in Lansing, Michigan against that brick wall. And it was everything I thought about. And I tell kids all the time, you know, if you, if, if you don't think it, dream it, you'll never achieve it. If you don't believe it, you'll never, you'll never get to that point of at least pretending and playing it out in your mind, what it's right. going to be like. And every postseason game was exactly like that. Yeah. That's a, that's a beautiful thing because all great ones have that same mindset and that same thought process as well, because, you know, Brian can tell you, you know, he had those same thought processes, and the same with me. And with you being one yeah. of the best ones to stand on the mound, although you didn't have enough years under your belt to tell the manager to get off the mound in game seven, <laughs> you, were the, you was the first pitcher to get the Tommy John surgery and make it to the Hall of Fame. Uh, how much advance in terms of the Tommy John surgery able to um, help these pitchers of uh, career? Yeah, it's the game saver. I mean, it's like a career saver. It was once thought of, that's it. You get that surgery, you're done. Mm. And the funny story behind that is I was 34 years old, so I was old. And I didn't think people were going to wait for me to have this surgery and to recover and give me the time it needed to go on and pursue my career. And I was really down and out. I pitched with it torn for three years. And I figured when it completely tears, that'll be it. And so my orthopedic doctor knew I was pretty down and out when I got the news that, you know, I needed Tommy John on the final year of my contract. He had Tommy John actually call me because they named the, you know, the surgery after the first successful surgery, which was Tommy John. Mm. And Tommy John called me and said, listen, John, I was 34 years old when I had mine. I pitched 11 more years. Don't give up. Go through it. You're going to have a, a much more of, of your career ahead of you. And it really kind of encouraged me to go through it, and not just give in to the emotion of, that's it. I, I poured in 2,400 innings at this point. Well, I pitched another seven more years and never had another issue really with my, my elbow. So it was, it was life-changing. And it, it allowed me to get to a point in my career to even be a, thought of as a Hall of Famer, yet alone a first ballot Hall of Famer. And so that's, I think back to that moment, and I think back to that decision, and I think back to that phone call. They were all huge in a, in a decision to keep me going. Mm. That's big. And going back to the 90s, you know, during that run, you guys made it to, you know, a few World Series. But in your opinion, how many championships should you have won? Three, easy, without blinking an eye. We, we had three right where you wanted them. Um, baseball, doesn't matter if you lose by one or 11. But we lost our first eight World Series games by one run. Mm -hmm. and, and a play here, a pitch here, a, a hit here. 93 really hurt. We had a, we had a great team. And we lost to the Phillies. Uh, they beat us. They ended up losing to the Blue Jays. 91-92 is kind of a toss-up because you go game seven, you shock the world, last yep. to first. 92, we lose to the Blue Jays. 93 is when we established ourselves as a real dominant team. And we gave that series away. And then in 95, well, 94, we had the strike, unfortunately. 95 was all the pressure. Yeah. We should have won it. We won it in 95. No doubt we should have won in 96. We're up two games to none going home against the Yankees. And did not win another game. And unfortunately, I lost my game one to nothing to Andy Pettit in game five, which flipped the series from 2-2 to 3-2, their advantage. Mm. And then after that, it's probably not safe to say we could have won too many after that. But we should have won in 93, 95, and 96. Now, having said that, you know how sports works in management. If you win back-to-back -back championships, they don't trade those players. 
Yeah. We lost in 96 and we lost a great teammate, Marquis, uh, Jace, uh, we lost uh, Mar- uh, m- one of my favorite center fielders, Marquise Grissom, and then David Justice, and then Jermaine mm-hmm. Dye. We lost a lot of players because the team felt like they needed to go in a different direction. We win that yeah. World Series. We do what the Yankees did. Yankees in 96 started a, a string of four out of five World Series championships. Mm-hmm. And I would argue that in 96, it was a big reason they kept their team together to win for the next five. Hey, that's a good point because – I understand you didn't win it, but you were right there. Why would you not keep everybody together? Yeah, like, and that, that's that's the million-dollar question, right? When you think you have to do something different, the pressure's not on an organization to keep everybody if you lose. The pressure's yeah. to keep everybody when you win. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm just telling you that it was ours to win. And to tell you how crazy baseball can be, we were down three games to one against the Cardinals just to get to the Yankees. We won those next three games. Like the next five games, we beat the Cardinals three in a row and the Yankees the first two games, 52 to four. We scored 52 runs to their four total. And then from that point on, we didn't win another game. That's how wow. quick it turned. Wow. Wow. And y'all had, some, y'all, y'all had some ballers, too. One of my favorite players on that team when you played in the late 90s, in the 90s, the crime dog, Fred McGriff. Oh, man. <laughs> the be crime dog. Yes, he should be in the Hall of Fame. Come on. <laughs> he, how, how Fred McGriff is not in the Hall of Fame? Baseball Hall of Fame. Yeah, yeah he, he was the prototypical show up every year. You knew what you're going to count on. He was a stud. His body never changed. He was one of my favorites, and he turned our organization around when we made that trade to get him. Mm. And he, he, I, I say it every year. I'm not being biased. Um, having been in the Hall of Fame, is we don't get a vote. But I'm telling you, when everybody changed and used a foreign substance that was not illegal, he did, and he should get credit for it. He is the yes. proto, prolific power hitter of every team. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We should get it going right here. All things covered. Get Fred McGriff in the Baseball Hall of Fame. And Baseball Hall of Fame is not like football where it's, it's, it's it can be a struggle for certain people. Football, they, they, they definitely take you through the ropes. Oh, Baseball, yeah. it's, it's a little more, it's a little easier. It's not easy, but you know, you don't have to go through as many ropes. Fred McGriff's supposed to be in there. Like, yeah. right. I'm right there with you. I'm right, right. there. I got one more. I got one more for you before we get to our superlatives, uh, John. As we talked about, well, as I spoke about earlier about you know baseball is only attractive to me in October. Tell me one thing that baseball can do to make it more attractive to younger audience and audience that just want to tune in in October. That's a great question. They're constantly struggling with that because the time of game is taking uh, baseball down a path they don't want to continue, and that's just too long. You know, mm-hmm. baseball has gone with um, the athletes have changed their body. They're bigger, they're stronger, they throw harder, they hit farther, but the action has gone backwards and the action's got to be there for a sport to have the attention. We already have a world where the attention deficit is, is pretty mm-hmm. evident because right. we have direct connect, you know, everyone wants to be on their phone. They want instant access. And I think the sport has gone through a period of so much information that it's kind of sucked sometimes the life out of the game because of the amount of pitchers you use, because of all the information players are playing slower. So baseball has got to find a way, however it goes about it to speed the game up because the athletes have never been greater and bigger and better, but they're not being used the right way. 
So the action and the excitement gets dwarfed by strikeouts, walks, homers. And when it gets to the purest form in the postseason, then you see truly what it can do. But it's hard to, to defend, and I have to call the game so I know exactly how long they take. <laughs> it's hard to defend a four-hour and 20-minute baseball game. And yeah. so they're going to be working on it. They're going to come up with ways, I'm sure, once they hammer out this negotiation that needs to be done between the players and the owners. And hopefully they come to agreement to find a way to move that sport and cut down the time of game that is basically mm-hmm. going the wrong way. Well said. Gotcha. Well said. Well said. Yeah. Good question. Too, I'll, say real quick. I'll say this. This is the problem I personally have with the game. Because we've got so much information, we've taken out of the we've taken the athleticism out of players. They don't steal, they don't run, they don't do some of the things that showcase instant athleticism in a game that mm-hmm. became very robotic. And if yeah. we don't get the athletes back in the game doing their thing, then you're going to find them choosing other sports really fast as mm-hmm. they get in the early ages of their of their decision process. And I think that's the one challenge that baseball has is because the speed's gone. Everyone plays in the shift. And we got to get these great athletes showcasing their talent, whether it's yeah. in center or short or second, and then utilizing the gifts they're being given and not just be confined to an analytic algorithm that says you shouldn't run because of this and this and that. That's where the sport can really get vibrant again because the great athletes are choosing the other sports. Mm-hmm. No doubt. No doubt. Well said. Well said. Love, love the question too, Pat P. So, John, we're going to transition to the superlative part of our show. So I want you okay. to just visualize this scenario. Bottom of the ninth, you got a one-run lead. Bases are loaded, one out. Everything's on the line, championship or bust. Bases loaded. Who's the batter? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, the batter. Who coming up at the plate first? <sighs> give me uh give me Mark McGuire. Okay. Well, I don't know if I should say Mark McGuire, but I'll yeah, I'll say Mark McGuire. All and right. He, and, and, and and you already know what he what he what he I ain't say what yeah. he's on, but you already know. So you got it. You definitely got to be on your A game right now. You got to come up with some real top stuff for you right now. First question for you. I want your honest, unbiased answer. You're the manager. A dream, your dream, six-man starting rotation. If you're a manager, you can pick any rotation you want at all time. All time. Right? Your dream. Yeah. Six man rotation would be who, who would be in that six man rotation all time. Starting well, rotation. I'm gonna I'm gonna I, I, I'm gonna put myself in there. That's fair. And then I'm gonna put Pedro Martinez. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna put Randy Johnson. Ooh. I'm gonna put. Golly, it's it's. I'm gonna take myself out, and I'm gonna put in Tom Seaver. Mm. Uh, this is the greatest question because there's so many right answers. Um, it's your list, though. You're the manager. You're the manager. So I'm the manager. manager. Yep. Okay, I'm the manager. So I said Randy Johnson, Pedro Martinez, uh, Tom Seaver. Uh, I'm going with New Age, Jacob deGrom, bad, bad man on the mound, hard to hit. Greg Maddox has to be in there. Okay. Yeah, and – one more. Um, Tom Glavin's going to be mad at me, but 
I got to go with Sandy Koufax mm. as the left-hander. And I'm going to leave me and Glavin on the bench. All right. Okay. Yeah. Your, is there, you're the manager. Your manager. Your, yes, sir. What was your most uh, your most clutch performance? Uh, you know, um, there, there are games that people see statistically that look good and you get you're successful and that would be considered clutch. But the game I'm going to talk about is when I had absolutely nothing. Like I was spent. I didn't have my A stuff and I was still able to give up no runs. I lost. Um, so it'd be that the clutch part might not fit the narrative, but I'm going to say on the road game seven against Pittsburgh, the first time we were able to go to the world series, I pitched nine innings, shut them out on the road. And to me, that started my quest to believe I really could do what I had always set out to do. I'm a big believer. Give me the club. Give me the ball to shoot. Give me the ball to throw. Let me make the pit, you know, pitch. I, I want to be that guy. It's not an ego thing. I just trust myself. And I trusted myself in game seven on the road in front of a hostile crowd. And uh, pitching nine innings was probably the greatest feeling in the world. Nine innings, something that we won't see nowadays. No. No. <laughs> We're not going to see that nowadays. Your favorite starting pitcher to watch in, ML, in the MLB right now is who? It's Jacob DeGrom. Uh, I, I only I, I only hope that he can stay healthy. Mm. There, there's just no words to describe what he does when he's healthy. He's unhittable. Um, he's a freak. He's about six, four, 190 pounds, if that. And he throws 98 to 100 miles an hour. And he's by far he's must see TV if he stays healthy. And I hope he can I hope he can bounce back and stay healthy. Gotcha. Uh, this is my last one for you, John. Dream golf foursome to play with. Man, that's another tough question. I always, I always said that I, I'm the type of guy I want to laugh, so I want somebody funny. Right. I've always wanted, I've always wanted to meet Will Smith. I want Will, Will Smith in that foursome um, uh, because I've always wanted to meet him. I heard he's an awesome guy. I don't even know if he loves golf. I've played with Tiger. 38, 39 times. Obviously, How was that? Tiger, How was playing with Tiger? Oh, it, it's, the TV doesn't know justice. This, this is the baddest man I've ever seen in my life competing <laughs> on a golf course. And obviously, I love to compete, so we battled many, 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 many times. So Tiger's always been one of my favorite um, guys to play golf with, besides the obvious. I mean, he's the world's best for the longest time. Mm -hmm. um, I'd want to go back in my foursome. I'd want Jackie Robinson in my foursome. Because I believe in golf is a time that you have that idle time to, to ask questions that you could never ask. Like, mm -hmm. I would never know what Jackie knows and what he went through. And he's obviously uh, so important to baseball. So I, I'd want Jackie Robinson just to kick, just to have those idle chat conversations. And then whether it's a Bill Murray or somebody who's a comedian <laughs> that's going to lighten up the group. Like, I, I love to have fun. Um, I wouldn't make it just a foursome because the way we play at our club, we got to six them all the time. So, but, oh, yeah. but that's the way I, I like to roll. I want to, I want to, I want to have fun. I want to compete. I want to learn something that I could never possibly know having not played some golf because you know how it is. Like, the wives give us trouble all the time when we come home and go, How was oh, your yeah. day? Great. <laughs> you know, uh, who'd you play golf with? So and so. 
Well, how many kids do they have? I don't know. What's their wife's <laughs> right. I don't know. Like, we, we're so enthralled with doing those five hours. That we lose all that other stuff. <laughs> wow. Wow. All right. My last one is this. You, it was, you played with Tom Glavin, Greg Maddox, Maddox, and yourself. Is there another, yeah. is there a better trio of pitchers that was assembled on one team? No, not for as long as we were. No, no, there's no one even close because there have been teams that will have greater pitchers assembled for a shorter period of time, no doubt. And it's hard to say that because we all three made the Hall of Fame, but our stuff was nowhere near some of the stuff that exists today. So you go in today's baseball, there's probably three pitchers on a staff that have better stuff than we did, but they'll never play together as long because financially the game's different. Mm -hmm. So when we started out playing together, we never talked about anything other than when we showed up for work, we were given our best and we had a good seat to see somebody pitch a great game. And to think that the three of us never pitched a no hitter and the three of us were able to attain majority of the Maddox, the awards, we all had the personalities that got along. We played golf together. We learned how to have fun together. And we did the things that never got us to where we were so competitive and affected us individually when we went to the ballpark. In other words, we checked our ego when we walked into the club, knowing that if you think you want to be the guy, that guy out there on the mound can show you why you're not going to be the guy. And vice <laughs> oh, versa. I like that. Yeah. And so we had this inner competition without speaking it by, by saying, if Greg threw a nine inning, two runs, four hits, and then it's my turn to pitch. Well, then I got to go nine innings, one run, three hits. And then, mm-hmm. and then Glavin's got to go nine innings, zero. You want to one-up each other in a great way that helps the team, not in an egotistical way. So that, we had a time of our lives. We never talked about when we wanted to end, and we knew it wouldn't last forever. Yeah, that's dope. I love hearing that. Oh, you know, I'm sorry. All right, this is the last one, Pat Peter. This is the last one, John. Mount Rushmore of Atlanta Braves players. Yeah. Who will be on the Mount Rushmore? I mean, Hank, Hank yep. for sure, right? You got to have Hank, got to have Phil Negro. And then after that, it is awfully difficult <laughs> to try to squeeze in a, a chipper or a Glavin or <laughs> myself or Maddox. Yeah, I was there the longest. That doesn't mean I deserve to be on there, yeah, but I was two, there the you longest. You got two spots. Who are you putting in other two spots? Man, I think that that would be that, – that would be – that's a that's great process for the Atlanta community to come up with. <laughs> <laughs> so you go give them two, and they got to figure out the other two. They got to figure out the other two out of possibly four or five or six. Four, four or five, yes, yes. Okay, okay. Well, you got. But you know what? The one beauty, the one beauty of 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 what I got to do, and I mean this with all humility, like I never dreamt of making it to the hall of fame. I never dreamt of my number getting retired. I never played for numbers. I never played for act. I wanted to win championships and I've gotten to live here for 31, 32 years. I've been treated with, uh, the community has been awesome. I've gotten to be part of a lot of great endeavors, help build a Christian school, help strike out hunger. When I think of my career, I think of the blessings of getting to wear a uniform for one organization for 21 years and the way I was raised to give back as much as I possibly can. So I'm blessed to have lived here this long and I'm blessed to have played for a man by the name of Bobby Cox, my entire career. And that, 
that's probably one of the guys I would put ahead of me on that Mount Rushmore because he led this group of people to championship after championship, and he was awesome. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Well, unfortunately, our time is up with you, John. I mean, this was this was this was nice. This I really enjoyed myself, man. This is a pleasure and definitely very very appropriate because you mean a lot to the organization in Atlanta. You know what I mean? As a player and now a part of the media, you do a great job calling games. And and anytime it's a big game, you know, we're going to hear your voice. That tells you uh, how well thought of you are when it comes to the baseball community, man. Join us on All Things Covered. Pat Peterson, Brian McFadden, baseball royalty. Hey, so it's your job for our listeners and our watchers. Fill up the other two spots. The Atlanta Braves, Mount Mount Rushmore will be who? John, I got it started for you. John, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, It's a pleasure. Appreciate it. Thanks again to John Smokes. And thanks to everyone for listening and watching. We'll be back again soon where you can expect all things to be covered. Peace. Peace. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.